0: Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world, you're warmly welcome to the first Revolution Live of 2023. So this is going to be uh, fascinating because it's going to be about a large fleet of electric vehicles from an individual who's got a wealth of experience, experience, knowledge, ideas. So you should come away from this in an hour's time. Um... Very much the more uh, in tune and in the picture of of what's going on if you're looking at electrifying your fleet. So, uh, without any further ado, uh, Hanno Klausmeier, Managing Director of SAP Labs France. Welcome. How are you, Hanno?
1: Yeah, thank you, Roger. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm fine. I'm uh, happy to uh, spend here an hour together with you. And yes, I'm the managing director of SAP Labs France. We are a subsidiary of SAP, the German software group. And we are doing here engineering stuff, software support, research and development uh, for the group.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Now, can I just check? Shall I call you Herr Klausmeier or Monsieur Klausmeier? Because you've been located in France, I think, for many, many years. Do you, you know, you're... I can hear you're a German, but how do you see yourself now? Are you bilingual and binational, just out of interest?
1: <laughs> it's, it's a very good question. Well, you can, of course, call me Hanno. That, 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 that's good enough. So I'll uh, do that. Yeah. But, but you can call me also Herr Klausmeier or Monsieur Klausmeier. In fact, uh, I have uh, the two nationalities. I'm German but I'm also French. Uh, so i am spent here 16 years in France, even more if I count my studying time here. So uh, um yeah, I, I believe I'm an international citizen, European citizen, but of course I feel German but also French to a certain degree. I've spent so much time in this country, I like this country, so both is correct.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you know, um You just sort of said it there, your your three things, French, German and European. Uh, I'm British. I used to be European, but somebody seemingly took that away from me. But that's another story. We won't get into it. Um, (laughs) What we're going to get into is your remarkable fleet electrification story, how that's come about, the detail of what that looks like now the hurdles or challenges that you've seen along the way. So we're gonna go through a bunch of that stuff in there. And just to remind people who've tuned in, we very much want to involve you in this conversation. So maybe in 30, 40 minutes or so, but certainly not too far into the session, we would be looking to bring you on stage if that's what you'd like to do, but we'll definitely be looking at bringing in your questions for Hanno. It's not just about what I've looked at and researched and worked with the team um, prior to all of that um, that we're going to uh, go through. But what I would like to start with, Hanno, if it's all right with you, is the the LinkedIn poll, the LinkedIn question uh, that we put out a few weeks ago, where we said, what is the biggest mistake you can make whilst electrifying your fleet? We wanted to hear what people's opinions were. Uh, Got lots of answers on that. Uh, The choices we gave people were no early employee involvement, overlooking charging options, underestimating the budget, or no grid planning. So here's the response. Bit of a roll of drums. Um, The top answer was uh, the biggest mistake people believed that you could make was uh, no grid planning and not having access to that power. Uh, Second, most important, was overlooking the charging options. And then we had no early employee involvement, employee engagement. That was a fifth, just over 20 percent of the answers then budget actually um, came last. So um, that's interesting. Are you surprised by any of that, Hanno? Or is that kind of reflects your experience? No, I'm not really that, that surprised. Of course, all answers are
1: from my perspective, correct and incorrect at the same time. Yeah. Of course, you need to take care of budget. Of course, you need to take care about employee engagement. You need to take care about charging infrastructure limitations and so on. That is no question at all. But if, if you would ask me, okay, what was really the most important thing? Is you need to have leadership. You need to really push it through. So you need to have the clear will because I can tell you we faced hundreds, thousands of obstacles in our way, which of course we were doubting ourselves when we moved ahead with some things. When we pushed the electric cars, we were, we were really, because there's so many people against us. So then, but yes, we pushed it through. It's neat at the end of the day. For me, the most important thing, you need to have a clear will and leadership to make it really done. That is really the main point. You can uh, overcome budget obstacles. You can overcome charging obstacles. You can overcome employee obstacles. I've seen it all. We had all those problems you had. We had, we had them all. So, but at the end of the day, you need to have the willingness to overcome it. That's that's yeah, the most great. important
0: thing. I H- I like the way you say things, but unfortunately, we've just delivered the entire show in that <laughs> one response. <laughs> we've told everybody everything. Not really, because we are going to get into the detail. But, yeah, I think you're right. Without the vision and the leadership, this goes kind of nowhere. Um, and, and I definitely want to go through some of what you said as maybe some of the biggest mistakes that, that were made along the way but d- don't don't tell me now because I'm sure some of that's going to come out uh, as we go along but um can I ask you in the years then because it is a good number of years now that that you've seen um workplace charging over that time what, what's changed in all of that how, whether it's about the technical side the view of how it works or, or, or whatever you know how have you seen workplace charging change over these years well, um, yes, I've seen a lot of changes. Um,
1: for instance, when we started, uh, we had. Practically no high performance chargers. Yeah. The fastest chargers at that time, we started at 2014, 2015, where at that time the superchargers from Tesla, uh, they delivered at that time, I believe it was about 120 kilowatt or something like that today. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was pretty good. So at that time there were no, not at all other chargers. Which could deliver over 100 at that time. The standard for fast charging was 50 kilowatt. And even to <coughs> find those type of charger was not that easy. Yeah. Now coming to your question regarding the workplace, we started with seven kilowatt single phase and one 22 kilowatt three phase charger at that time. Yeah. In our days, this would be rather very poor. So now we have only 22 Three phase chargers and six DC chargers. Yeah. Which are going from 25 and even up to 150 kilowatt. Yeah. So from that perspective, now you have more faster. So all has become better. Now it's controlled via the internet. When we started, well, We didn't even think about to monitor charging sessions. We didn't think about this. Uh, We had no idea, yeah, about the plugs, etc. At that time, we also still have the Chadingo standard. Now the Chadingo standard more or less disappeared. So now we have a standardization. We have the Type Two, the Manikas for AC charging. We have the CCS combo for DC charging. So we have now clearly a standard. At that time, we still had the old uh, the plug for the Nissan Leaf and some similar. So from that perspective, charging has now be much more standardized. We have more chargers. We have faster chargers. We have better supervision and monitoring of those charging. So I believe that all the charging world at workplace has been modernized and has become more mature to put it in simple
0: words. Oh, yes, it it absolutely has. And the good news there, of course, is that it's got more to go. There is more opportunity for things to improve and change to be more reliable. Uh, we won't go into bi-directional charging at this point because I want to go through some other questions. But, but yeah, that there's, yeah, when you, when you explain it like that, you realize how far and relatively fast we've come, which is good. But can I just understand the timeline then? When did SAP France, uh, labs? actually decide then to to electrify? And and if it's not a silly question, why? Why was that decision made? You mentioned right at the beginning about leadership. So when did you decide to do it? And why did that happen, Hanno? I believe that's a very,
1: very good question. And I like to give this answer because I believe it's important for all of us. I always had the feeling in my stomach, deep in my stomach, that what was coming out of the exhaust pipes of cars was not necessarily positive for humanity. Yeah. Even today, when mm. I go into my own garage and I have at home three electric vehicles, I have the tendency, the instinct to go out of the garage as soon as possible because we still have this. Uh, we are afraid of mono, uh, of these, uh, of uh, intoxication by gases. All Gas. these, uh, completely stupid. There is no danger with electric. Uh, there are no gases. So I always had this impression. So what happened, I saw, I believe it was 2012, 2013. I saw my colleagues in California, in Palo Alto. They set up some charging station. I looked at they had the first electric cars over there. I went to the car saloon in Paris, 2013, 2012. I don't remember. And I saw a lot of Renault cars, all electric, etc. And I liked this. And then suddenly, I saw the opportunity. I got hold of a small budget and I said, let's do it here at SAP Labs 2014. Let's do a kind of test balloon, just test it. But at that time, 2014, when I decided that, I was afraid because I didn't know very much about that world, the electric car world. Yeah. So I had the impression it could be the right thing to go. So then we had 2015. And 2015 was, for me, a very important year because two things happened in 2015. We got our first chargers. We got our first electric cars. At that time, we started only with Renault Zoe's, with the small batteries, with a 22 or 23 kilowatt battery at that time. We limited range, 130 kilometers on the highway at that time, roughly. yeah. And then two things happened. The first thing which happened at that time was The Volkswagen diesel scandal, yeah? Mm. And and as a good German, I didn't like the way Volkswagen and some of the German industry handled this scandal. For me, this was just a scandal. was unacceptable for me. As a kind of personal ethics, I completely rejected this. And And this also led me to starting to distrust the leadership of the OEMs. Yeah, this was my starting point. And then I started to investigate a little bit more. And the deeper I digged at that time, the greater my distrust became into the OEMs at that time. And then an additional thing happened. By per accident, it was not really planned because it was really an accident that a person, an employee of mine, she had a friend there with Tesla in Aix-en-Provence, about 150 kilometers away from here. And they were always pushing me, I know you need to drive the Tesla. And at that time, I rejected that at the beginning because I felt Tesla is too expensive because as a managing director... Uh, priorities, I have to look a little bit at the cost,
0: you see, uh, and it's, uh, I need to, of course, <laughs> obviously, yeah, so it's not all, not all it's Hanno, a, <laughs> Hanno, everybody's got a boss, haven't they, everybody's got a boss, exactly. everybody, exactly. yeah, exactly,
1: So, so, but, but finally they convinced me, I drove a Tesla, and when I drove it, well, I was okay. I liked it. However, what really made the bigger impression was the range of the car, because I saw 300 or 400 kilometers at that time. And uh, in the newspapers, I already uh, read from the CEOs of Volkswagen, Mercedes, etc., that this was not possible, that the density of energy in the battery was not enough to go beyond 150 kilometers. And here, here I saw some, something else. And then I asked the salesman from a Tesla a question. I said, how is that possible? How do you manage that? And I thought, well, maybe you say, well, we have a secret pact there with the devil, with us, a secret technology nobody had discovered. Yeah, that was my, and then I was, I nearly fell for my chair after I, I got the answer. The answer was, Mr. Klausmeier is very simple. We just put more batteries in the car. And then when I heard this, I said, well, all my distrust was fully confirmed. And then I knew at that time that electric car was the future. I knew it at that time. And And this is when I really decided we need to really
0: go through with our electric car program. Yeah, this was a little right. bit to the beginning. So, so let me extend the, the, the question then. And by the way, before we do, I'd like to encourage anybody who's joining us to please put your questions in the chat. We'll do our best to go to them. Just so you know, Hannah, we've got people from Zambia, Croatia, Kenya mexico spain alberto from spain juan from mexico hillary's from nairobi look at that so this is truly international but yeah sorry to sort of stop you now now you've talked here about a bit of a personal vision you've talked here about your sense of doing the right thing all of that but of course you know sap labs france big organization but it's part of a much bigger organization sap global is huge uh, you know, people know that. How did you then convince your boss and and, and the people right back into head office? I mean, what was, because this is another part of the equation, the kind of, you know, sustainability mindset, not just on the vehicle fleet, you know, cars and stuff, um, the whole thing, you know, what energy you use, all all, all of these things. How did you Get this sort of taken on then as policy, because you mentioned money earlier, everybody's got a budget. And if you haven't got a budget, you either get one or you can't do anything. So what was the next part of that journey then, please, Hanno? Well,
1: I was at the disposal of some budget on my own. Yeah. What I also did uh, here in France, we have, we had at that time a government bonus for electric cars. So I took this budget away in order to finance my charging infrastructure. Yeah. This is what I did. I had a lot of discussion, obviously with my headquarter. I found. I would say different type of people in my headquarter there were people who really liked what what I was doing and even supported me there were other people saying nay nay I I don't like it. what what you are doing this is <laughs> not no, not good But at the end of the day, I was able to convince the the relevant people to give me the necessary budget to go through. And this is what I did. Yeah, But Mm. it was a long journey. So don't believe that everybody was applauding to me when I took the decision. And I can tell you, when I took out the diesel engines in 2016 of potential company cars here, we have about 300 company cars. I got some phone calls from my headquarter in Germany, and they're asking me, Hanno, are you sure what you're doing? And I said, yes. Hmm, hmm. And they say, yeah, well, do it. And it was a little bit, uh, yeah, we don't really like it, what you're doing, but okay, do it. Yeah, so I had some critical questions, but at the end of the day, they let me do what I did.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. And it's great that you're sharing that story with us here now. Now, again, anyone who's aware of the last, you know, what we're talking about here, seven, eight years, but, you know, let's call it a 10-year time frame. knows the last 10 years have been very challenging to inform, educate, to inspire people, whether it's at the corporate level in terms of the boardroom or whether it's individual drivers. So can we go through a few sort of specific challenges that you might have encountered? I mean, what were some of the what, if any, were some of the main concerns of the employees then? Because, yeah, it's good that you got it. Good for Hanno. But what about, you know, Monsieur, you know, Blanche and, you know, Adam Brown? I'm trying to make up French names. Sorry about that. But what were the concerns of those people when there you are trying to influence and sort of persuade people to go electric? What, what were the people's concerns back at that, you know, at that time, seven, eight years ago? I would say, eight years ago, well,
1: there are still two points which are still valid, which is range and charging. This comes up since today, yeah, How long does it take to charge the car? What is the range of the car? So those are the classics, yeah, they're still valid today. Maybe what changed or what was different at that time at that time, the selection of electric cars. Or the options were very limited. You didn't have that many options. So at that time, there were very few models available. We had, uh, I don't know, maybe ten models available at that time, yeah, which we could get hold of, like the Volkswagen e-Golf, the Renault Zoe, the the, the Hyundai Ioniq, uh we had the Nissan Leaf there, and then Tesla. That was more or less all what was available at that time, yeah. And yeah. in our days, uh, the options, the selection is so broad. You have uh, even the ID buses is now available, what's the kind of transporter? you have so many options right now, so this was a big change compared to those days at that time. But I would say the decide they think at the beginning, when the employees had the choice. Of choosing freely an electric car or an ice car, there were not that many, many problems because even critical employees, they could say, well, what Hanno is doing there with his electric car, that's fine, but I don't care. I, I, I still order my diesel or my ice car. I don't really care. Yeah. But when I announced at the beginning of 2018, that starting with January 2019, you can only order electric cars, then this changed completely. Because then suddenly, all those people who were always against the electric car program, they then became open enemies, to put it that way. This was mainly during 2018. Wow. And then I had a lot of wind against me. Yeah. So I was really sailing Against the wind, to put it that way, that was really a tough year, 2018, when I announced that we will stop all the ice cars. So we would only allow electric cars. that was really the difficult time, yeah. And there yeah, were all type of uh, reasons why it was not for me. And it's only for the neighbor. Yes, for the neighbor. Yes, the neighbor can drive the electric, but not for me because I have so special requirements. I have a hanger. I have horses or I don't know what. There were any type of excuses why they couldn't drive electric cars. And at that time, of course, I had a lot of doubts. Of course, I asked myself, am I too radical? And I ask these questions very often myself. But at the end of the day, I say no. I stick to the cause, and at the end of the day, I believe I was right. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: well, we'll listen. There's some very interesting lessons in there. If we expand that out, you know, you're quite a big company. Like I said, part of an even bigger global company. But when you said in 2019 to people you can't order uh, petrol diesel vehicles anymore, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine how for some people would have reacted. But that's exactly what now governments are saying to the automakers and therefore the public. So how do you think that's going to go, uh, Hannah, once we get to 2030, 2035, you know, it's a very complex thing. So I don't want to get, we can't get into all of the detail, but if you were now talking to me and I'm the German chancellor or the French president or or whoever, can you give me some advice about how to manage this, this transition then in what you've just said? I would say the first thing is that Mr. Scholz or
1: Mr. Macron, you should be convinced yourself. Starting with that. Right. Yeah. Start driving yourself an electric car. Start with that. Yeah. Just feel the the difference. Start with that. It starts with the person himself. Yeah. Because right now I know Scholz is not driving an electric car. Macron, I believe, is also not driving an electric car. According to my knowledge, I may be wrong. Yeah. But this is the first thing. Yeah. And then the second thing is, is that if we really, we are serious about climate change, if we are serious about stop pollution, there's no other way than to electrify the full transport, yeah, there's no other Wait. way, yeah, so not it, we should not only come from the personal feeling that electric car is nicer to drive, there's no vibration, it's quieter, et etc, better acceleration, et cetera, et etc, but there's also the part that you can just by analyzing the problem, there is no other solution than electrifying the traffic, no other solution. Yeah. Right. We can turn right. it around, we can go for methane cars or I don't know, hydrogen cars and this car. No, it's not a solution. There's no other way. An electric car is so so efficient. Yeah. And this has to be the key of the policies of not only the German or French car, of all the governments in Europe and even beyond. Uh, because mm-hmm. only when we drive electrification, we will gain the efficiencies. Yeah. We need in the transformation of our economies. Only then this is possible, Hmm. yeah? So we need to convince the chancellor or the president by personally, but also by rational arguments why there's no other option.
0: Well, I I agree with you. I happen to have asked a few people in my own government about this because I would have thought people would, certainly the prime minister would drive a Jaguar I-Pace. The story I get back is, well, these vehicles have to be specially protected. They have to be given all sorts of security, etc. And and my answer to that would be, I mean, it's an easy answer, maybe, but okay. if that's a challenge, get on with it. You know, a lot of the cars that the, the presidents will drive don't drive 200 miles or 300 miles anyway. You know, they're going from one palace or office to another in the same city. So even if you put a lot of weight onto that vehicle with armoured protection and all the rest of it, you're not going to, you know, it's still going to have plenty of rain, for goodness sake. So I think it's a bad excuse uh, and I think it needs to stop. Hanno, I think you're dead right. Until the public start to see some of our political elites and leaders setting the example, why should they change? And I think it will cause a lot of problems if they don't change. So, yeah, well said, my friend. Um, Coming back to... A bit more kind of straightforward things. Going back to that journey, then we talked earlier. You talked earlier about the different levels of charging and what it was at the beginning, etc. But can we just go through that setting up the charging infrastructure challenge? How do you, how did you go about it? You know, what charge point operators? What equipment do you use? How do you connect to the grid? How do you know what available power you've got? How do you make sure you don't? I mean, SAP runs a lot of data stuff and, you know, I imagine uses a lot of power, a lot of energy. How did you make sure you didn't bring down the company's, you know, um computer systems?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Well, at the beginning, when we got our first charging station, we just got three charging stations, we never asked ourselves that question. And to be quite honest, if you just install two, three, maybe four charging stations, AC chargers, it doesn't really, really matter. Yeah, So the grid is strong enough. Then, of course, we came to the point when, I don't know who told me that, ja, yeah, take care of the grid, et cetera. And then I looked what we contracted with EDF, Electricité de France. And then I made a quick calculation with all the chargers we had and with the grid capacity we got. And I said, hola. This could be a little bit uh, tricky. So then the first time I realized, well, maybe I should take a closer look at the grid and capacity. So the first thing we did, very simple, we called up ADF and asked for an increase of capacity. So that that was the first thing we did, which at that time was granted. However... A couple of months, we came to the same situation. We added more charges and we found the same problem. Then ADF said to us, well, uh-uh, Mr. Klaus here's the limit. We can, we'll not give you more. Hmm. Then we were thinking, what What could we do? And then we were just creative. Of course, there's one way. And we ask an independent company to do an analysis for us. And they came up with a proposal, well, Mr. Klaus, man, it's very easy. You just need to spend 400,000 uh, euro, put a new transformer there on, on your parking spot, and then EDF will increase the capacity to 1.2 megawatt here, and then you have enough uh, charging capacity. And then I said to myself, well, am I really willing to spend that money? How big is the likelihood that I get this budget approved from, from my headquarter? Yeah. And how yeah. many real more cars would I charge with this? And the answer was not that positive. So what we did at that time was look for creative solution to fix that problem. The first thing was, well, look around here in our location. We are in southern France. We had a lot of sun." So we said, okay, let's generate more electricity. Just put solar panels on our roof. Yeah, let's just increase the capacity with the natural resources we have. So we added first, we added solar panels. So by doing this, we increased the amount of power we had at our disposal. First measure. The second measure was, we said to ourselves, well. It is always convenient and I knew this for myself because I started to installing a wall box at my garage even in 2015 and so what we did we pushed our employees we gave them a small uh, grant to do this to install wall boxes and home chargers at their garages and this was really a big success so of our 300 uh, cars we have over 100 of those employees have now charges at their home so why i'm saying this because the more you are charging at home the less you are charging at the facility so Indirectly, we increased our capacity via the garage and the electricity of my employees. This was the second measure we took. The third measure we took, we installed a stationary battery here in our location, yeah, with 150 kilowatt hours. We installed that. And so we have a reserve capacity we could also use. This was the third measure. And the fourth measure was, we said to us, we are SAP. We are a software company. This is a soft, <laughs> also a software problem. Let's yes. now yes. try to solve this also with intelligence. You cannot just always ask for more resources. Just put some intelligence in place. So in the meantime, we developed a software to monitor our charging station. And to that, we added smart charging capabilities And now this is here in production, our site, and this software now dynamically increases or decreases the charging if there might not be sufficient power available for charging. So by applying all those four measures, we solve the problem. Yeah. So the message I would like to give here, you do not always spend more and more on more resources or or bigger grid power or transformers, etc. Sometimes you just need to think out of the box and coming with
0: creative ideas to solve the problem. Hanno, thank you. That is such an interesting answer. That that's creating your own energy ecosystem. And as you said, applying the principles of smart technology, good software. And, um, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that you kind of didn't just think, okay, this is the one solution. It's going to cost a lot of money. We can't do it. You know, what, what, what what's that phrase? How, how do I say in French, think outside the box? How do I say that in French? Dizzy how do I say, it? yeah, or in German? How do you say, think outside the box in German? Good, good question. I, I like the English oh, word so worry. much. Don't worry, then. don't worry. We'll stay in English. Before <laughs> the creative life. <laughs> Before the Yeah. Okay, thank We won't make this, look, I can speak a little bit of French, a bit of German, but we won't go there because I don't want to confuse people. We have got questions coming in, though, Hanno, so let's go and look at some of those. Sure. Uh Mira Verbich has asked, what resources or steps did you take to educate yourself on the process of electrifying a fleet? And do you have any advice for others just starting out on their journey? You've been sharing some of that in fairness, uh, Mira. Anything you want to add to, to that? Uh, I hope I've got that right. Mira, Mira, Mira.
1: Uh, do, do you want me to answer? Yeah, uh, yes, please. Yeah. 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 I mean, you yeah. have been it's, answering it, that. It's, it's also yeah. a very, very, very good question. You have to see, especially in SAP, you have to see that most of the SAP employees are normally relative intelligent people. They all have studies, uh, uh, three years or five years. Some who have even PhDs, etc., they're normally intelligent people. So you cannot just go in there and just say, hey, Mr. Miller, you need to change, etc. Because they are asking you questions about battery, about technology. So what I did, I invested a lot of time even reading scientific papers about a lot of things, about batteries, cars, etc. So I went way beyond just the normal newspaper level, etc. I went way beyond that. I even ordered books, etc. in order to try to really understand this technology and to really understand this industry. Why did I do this? Because I knew that I was going to have questions critical questions about battery electric vehicles but i believe i was always able to answer them like a lithium problem or a cobalt problem yeah a, a small black children working in uh, mines there in congo etc so of course i had nice. those questions but i was able to come up with reasonable answers of course i asked those questions myself yeah do we have enough raw materials yeah what is the supply chain of electric vehicles, of course, I asked those questions, but believe me, I really even studied scientific literature in order to come up with reasonable answers, yeah, so at the end of the day, you need to go through all materials and order but of course, in our days, the good news is now you have a lot of compressed uh, let's say information already available, you have a lot of uh, articles written about this. if somebody wants to really know more. Uh, I'm maybe off the record. I can give him some hints and links to uh, relevant articles and books, etc.
0: No, you're being very generous, uh, uh, Hannah, and that's, that's to your credit. Thank, thank you. And I can hear in your answers why you've been making a success of this, because you are thinking outside of the box. You are listening to other people. You do have a plan. But above all of that, what comes across so powerfully in your you know answers and, and everything is your passion for this. believe in it it's not it's not you're not doing it as a kind of business strategy thing well you are but you're doing it because you're believing it you believe in it with with a passion which i have so much respect for so so that's good a question that i've been trying to get alberto from spain up on stage but i can't for some reason it's one that i was thinking of when you were answering um about the switch to home charging uh from some of the people to, to manage that demand Uh, in the location so alberto uh, we are definitely of the same mind we both have the same thoughts so might be a connection problem there i'll ask alberto's question on his behalf Um, the charging at home for employees was it paid for in part or all by sap so yes you help people install a wall box but did they get some discounted charging at home or or, you know would the Because I'm thinking the incentive would be, well, why am I going to charge at home if I can charge at work and it doesn't cost me any money? Yes. How did that work? Yes, we had exactly those
1: questions. And and, uh, (laughs) we had exactly that question. What we did, Yeah. yeah. we said, okay, we give a one-time subsidy of 700 euro. Then the French government gives you some tax incentives. So roughly, as a rule of thumb, you can get about a 1,000 euro back. And then our condition was that the employee needs to organize a charging station at in his garages, which is supervisable by our software. Yeah. So then we can mm-hmm. control how much he is consuming and we are directly paying via our expenses system. We are directly paying his expenses directly. We are paying his, his charge. Yeah. So to, to totally. make it uh, totally. simple, yes, we gave a subsidy. Yeah. To make it more attractive for the employees to install a, a, a wall box at his garage. And second, yes, we are paying the electricity for the charge.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, good. Uh, well, look, it, it very much was in my mind the moment you said that and, and clearly Alberto as well. Um, so I'm, I'm glad he asked the question because, yeah, that's. I think a lot of people were thinking that as you, you, you were explaining. Thank you. That's really good advice. And, and I'm, I can understand how it worked. Um, now, you mentioned something earlier there, which was almost like matter of fact. But, but you know, like you didn't make a big thing of it. But, but it is a big thing, isn't it? Um, This charging, how do you call it? Charging management software, I suppose you'd call it um, that you put together. Uh, How did. Okay, you're a software company. I know. I know you had to do these things, pretty sophisticated things. But can you tell us a bit about that charging management software then?
1: Yeah, it's a CPMS charge point management system, which, in fact, uh, originally, we didn't want to develop that. It was really an accident, I would say. Originally, well, to to be quite honest, at the beginning, I I wasn't even aware that you can supervise or monitor charging sessions. I had no idea when we got our first charging stations here. And and, uh, this was, for instance, one mistake I committed when we installed our first charging stations. We did not connect them to uh, the Internet. It. They were just connecting to electricity. That was all. Yeah. So then I don't know. It was really per accident when I saw our electrician opening one of the the, the chargers. And I saw this uh, Ethernet connection, the RG45. (laughs) And then I came up with the idea, well, maybe we can supervise those things from a distance. Because in the past, when we had problems, I or one of my colleagues had to go down, go to the big switchboard and switch on and off to reboot the charging station. But, of course, this was not a manageable situation. And then I was looking for software to monitor our charging station. And I even found something. But to be quite honest, I was pretty disappointed with the performance of that company. And then per accident, a couple of employees, they came together and they offered me to develop something on their own. I said, okay, do it. Yeah. And this was the beginning of our own solution. Yeah. To monitor this charging stations. And then over time, this grew and grew, so we connected it to our expense system, we connected it to analytics, we connected it to other energy management systems, etc so we we connected smart charging and over time, this was growing and growing and then at the same time, uh, other people partners customers came, they saw this, and they said well, can we can we buy this? Can we have that too?" but originally, <laughs> it was not designed to be a product uh, we are
0: Going to sell, not at all. It was just for our own purposes. Well, I can understand why people are interested in it because you mentioned it several times. The whole thing of being smart with the technology, managing the electricity and the energy in a way in which you don't necessarily have to upgrade facilities because that does cost, as you explained, a lot of money. Um, All of this is entirely logical. Can I, if you don't want to talk about that, it, this is fine, but because it's all kind of still very new. But given all of what you've put together, that, that charging architecture, that smart charging process, what about as we get towards the, the capability of electric vehicles to be bi directionally charging? Is that something yet in your mind that, that you're, you're reflecting on or imagining what it could do? I mean, if we don't want to talk about it, that's fine, because it's all very new. But, but is this in your mind at the moment, um, Hanno? I'd be really intrigued to know.
1: The answer is clearly yes. Vehicle-to-grid is, of course, in my mind. Yeah, And uh, we did even some experiments in the past. The only problem, and um, this is, I would warn a little bit the people, right now, the only plug commercially available, able to do bidirectional charging, is the Chademo plug. Yes, the Japanese one. And the Japanese uh, Shademo is practically disappearing in Europe. So right now we have only Type 2 mannequins and CCS Combo. And right now those standards are not bidirectional. I know there are prototypes available. They will come up with bidirectional capabilities, but we are still not there. So I believe in vehicle-to-grid, but don't get me wrong. But right now, we need more standardization and technical capabilities to go beyond the proof of concept stage. Yeah, Because I like doing proof of concept, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you need to really put it into production. Yeah, And I know as a software man, as a man coming out of software industry, proof of concept is one thing. But to make it scalable as a kind of industrial solution is, of course, another thing.
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely and proof of concept is great but when you're looking to deliver you know secure vehicle performance you know reliable vehicles whether they're you know um delivery vehicles for example or, or whatever you can't be experimenting you can't you Proof of concept has to be managed in in a way in which it doesn't disrupt, you know, business operation, you know, significantly. So, so I'm with you. I'm fascinated by it because I keep hearing a lot more. I saw a post from someone on LinkedIn today uh, from Siemens uh, suggesting it was going to be, you know, a a massive thing. But you're quite right. Um, My ID Buzz. I've got a. I'm very lucky to have got a, a brand new ID Buzz that does have a uh, bi-directional charging capability, but it's not live. It's not up and running. You know, I can't I can't even buy a wall box to use it yet. So you're quite right to urge caution. Um, and, and you're not a cautious person because we've learned that during this hour, Hanno. You go for it. Um, I've, I've got to say, I, I do admire that. Can I quickly ask, uh, I made lots of notes, by the way, because it's all interesting. You, you mentioned you have got over 300 vehicles. Can I just get a little sense of what, what they are, if if that's okay to share, you know, what proportion of this make or that, mo- that company or whatever. C- can I get an idea of what that 300 is made up of?
1: Yeah, we have uh, close to 300 electric cars. So to be, to be clear, we only have battery electric vehicles. So no plug-in. So right. We phased out the last plug-in hybrid at the beginning of last year. So we're now running 100% battery electric vehicles. Yeah, with this fleet. We have, I would say roughly our first manufacturer is Tesla. We have around 40% Tesla. Yeah. I would say the second manufacturer is probably the Hyundai group for mainly for historic reasons. Uh, We have to give uh, the Hyundai group a lot of credit. They were the first company coming up in the medium and lower mark segment with uh, cars which had a significant range. I, I would mainly cite uh, Hyundai Kona and the Kia Niro, who came out 2018 with a 64-hour kilowatt battery, and they were able to go longer ranges. I tried it myself. I even went to Northern Holland with that, so without any problems even at that time. So, those are the major ones. Then, of course, now we have uh, increasingly Volkswagen. We have uh, Volvo was uh, recently quite popular. Um uh, We had the Ford Mustang Mach-E. So uh, uh, I would say those are the major representatives here in our car fleet.
0: Mm. Okay. Now, you did briefly mention Volkswagen there, but I'm intrigued by something given, you know, Yes, this has been over time. You've been very detailed in your uh, explanation of all of this, but there you are—a German living in France. We talked about that earlier. You're, you're kind of you're, you're both both of these people. The culture and, and the auto industry in both those countries, Germany and France, is massive, incredibly significant to the countries, hugely important to the European economy, and if we saw. SAP Labs France replicated all over Europe in fleets and people were, you know, had 50% of them as Tesla and then they're talking about the Koreans and we haven't even talked about the Chinese yet. Mm. What if there is a message you have um, to the German automakers or the French automakers? Can I ask you? I mean, do you have a message for them, Hannah?
1: Yes. Yes. My message is very, very clear. Change as fast as you can to electric vehicles. That that that's my message. Yeah. So why I'm saying this? I don't like very much. There are still some CEOs of major OEMs in Germany and in France who are putting doubts on electric vehicles. Yeah. I will not blame anybody now, but I believe you know exactly okay. w- w- yeah. who 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 I know who I have, like, about. <laughs> mind, Yeah. And I don't believe that you can stop technical progress just running to your government and asking there yeah stop the chinese put more duties on it etc i personally believe you are getting stronger if you expose yourself to the best in the world yeah why is the British Premier League so good? Because you're the your best best players over there. That that that's the reason. Yeah. So, Thank so you, we you. have to admit that. Yeah. So and I would also like to tell a story of the 70s from Germany. Go to the nineteen seventies in Germany. What happened at that time? At that time, a lot of Europeans they were afraid of the Japanese cars at that time. And even I remember my father. As he said, no, I will not buy a Japanese car. I'm a German. I will only buy a Volkswagen car. Yeah. And I yeah. remember at that time, the Italian and French government, they listened to their OEMs and they limited the amount of Japanese cars to five or seven thousand a year or something like that. My question is, did this really help them? But at that time, I remember that at that time, Germany had the Chancellor Schmidt. And he said, well, yep. uh, the, uh, the German OEMs, they should also face competition. And Germany did not impose, let's say, additional uh, duties on Japanese cars. And I believe they took the right decision. If you want to get better, you should measure yourself constantly with the best. And just by protecting always, this will not help in the longer run. Sooner or later, you are exposed. Anyway, you are also an exporting company. So you cannot just look at your home market, France and Germany, because you want to export to Africa. You want to export to Latin America. You want to export to Asia. You cannot just hide behind your home market and think this is sufficient. It is not sufficient. If you really want to scale up, you want to have large economies of scale, you need to attack the world market and not Just look at your
0: home turf. It's no longer sufficient. That would Mm. be the message. Hanno, I like you a lot because do you know what? You say what you think and you don't dress it up. And I think the world's business leaders are respected much more when they talk like you've just been talking by the employees, by the customers, and hopefully, yes, by the politicians. Because uh, unless you acknowledge the reality then uh it well you can do something about it but until you've acknowledged it there's there's nothing you can do about it. So so thank you for being very very specific in, in 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 what you say. And I I I I happen to agree with you. But listen, we're coming up on towards the end of the hour. We've had lots of people from all over the world. You've been so detailed and comprehensive in your answers. I can see why we haven't needed to have any questions because we're going through all of this in detail, but can you kindly give us, I don't know, three or four, five minutes, wrap up, if you like, of if I'm now watching this as, as a fleet manager or a company director on the board of a small or a large company, um, give give me a few minutes of wisdom and, and advice, please, Hanno. Yeah, um, uh, it's of course difficult. I,
1: when, when you do something like that, I never said it earlier, you should show leadership and you should not go back when you saw the first obstacles. There will always be obstacles. Mm. That's the first thing. Of course, as a business leader, you need to balance vision and also costs. Of course, I was looking at the costs. Yeah. And let me uh, tell a couple of costs. Right now, when we are, we, we are doing leasing of com- company cars here, others are buying them, right now an electric car does not cost me more from a TCO, total cost of ownership perspective, more than an ICE car. However, at the beginning, it did cost me more. Yeah. In the beginning, it did cost me more. So everybody who's taking such a decision should be prepared that at the beginning, you have some startup costs. Yeah. Which are maybe superior to a just a normal ice scenario. Yeah. You need to set up maybe electrical infrastructure. We had to invest in a new uh, electrical switchboard here, for instance, our company, because the old one was completely outdated. We needed to modernize this. We needed to install all the chargers here. We have now over 50, nearly 60 uh, uh, charge points here at our main location here. We had to put chargers in our satellite locations, etc. So, of course, this had a cost. Yeah, so... But right now, if it comes to running costs, yeah, we are even less expensive than ICE cars. Of course, and again, you need to balance the thing. Yeah, you need to have the vision to push it through. You may not just copy 100 percent what we did. So we put a lot of. I would say, bells and whistles here in our locations, like uh, fast charging. We had, we had 150 uh, kilowatt supercharger. We have 120 kilowatt supercharger. Not everybody may or should do this. Maybe just the AC charging would be sufficient. They are much cheaper and practically Every company uh, which a reasonable budget can afford, uh, I don't know, a 22 kilowatt three-fasic charger. That is ridiculous. Uh, it's The costs <laughs> yeah, are really, yeah. uh, ah, I wouldn't say neglectable, but they are really manageable. Yeah. So yeah. I would say to everybody, do it. Show vision. Show that you believe in it. But, of course, I do understand everybody who looks also in a reasonable way to the costs. Yeah, there should be a balance. So I cannot ask for a company who has liquidity problems to spend uh, huge investments in, let's say, super fast charging that this is, of course,
0: I wouldn't do either. I understand this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um w- w- Look, uh, by the way, Jason, uh, one of our viewers, has said there's still grant funding for workplace and home charges in most EU countries. So again, looking at getting support, in all of that is important. But but listen, we're, we're coming up on time. Can I just say, Hanno, it, it is genuinely a, a refreshing experience to hear a senior um, person as yourself in a very well-respected company um, talk openly in the way that you have and to give the sound advice that you've given um, is very, very generous of you um, and very, I'm sure very h- helpful to people. Um, cost, of course, is always... Um, yes. A fundamental people have to you know pay the wages pay the bill make money stay in profit all of the obvious stuff but i think without that vision to begin with where you then enable a landscape where you, you can afford to do these things and as you just said scale it up don't go for the, all the bells and whistles to begin with maybe you want to if you can do it but if you can't you know do it plain vanilla and then start making it tutti frutti if i can <laughs> if i can yeah. put it like yeah. that um but, but yes, look, I can understand now why it's been successful. I'm sure this will inspire so much more of the SAP group, the whole family, you know, because it's an enormous global company, to maybe knock on your door and ask for your advice. You can show by example what you've done. Um, yeah, France is a great place to do this, of course, because you've got you know uh, nuclear energy, a pretty clean grid. So it makes a lot of sense in particular in terms of what's powering up all of these EVs. But clearly you've had the same challenges that a lot of people have had along the way, but the difference is you've just got on with it. So, So hats off to you. So Hanno, thank you very much. If you'd like to say goodbye to our guests, I'd like to join you in that. Um, say au revoir Auf Zen, whatever you fancy Um, thank you everybody for joining us you can pick this up you may be listening to it on a podcast anyway but you can pick it up again on a podcast but for now thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again in February thank you thank you for having me here